Chapter Twenty Two of Tom Playfair or Making a Start by Francis J. Finn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Twenty Two, in which Tom wins a new friend, and hears a strange story. It must be said in justice to Mr. Playfair that Tom's record during the last half of school pleased him very much. Indeed, he expressed his pleasure in such terms on their meeting again that tom blushed to the tips of his ears say pa what about my communion you can make it my boy just as soon as the president allows you next year perhaps i was a little severe on you but it has done you good and indeed there could be no doubt about tom's improvement the truth compels me to add that he made things very lively indeed at home during the two months of vacation on returning to college he had a long talk with the president the issue of which was that Tom should prepare under the Reverend Father's personal direction to receive his Lord at Christmas. That Christmas was to be the turning point in our hero's life. September passed quietly. Towards the end of the month, Tom came upon a new friend. He was sauntering about the yard one bright afternoon when his attention was caught by the following dialogue. He's homesick. He wants his ma. Give him a little doll and a nice gold paper dress. These were a few of the remarks from John Pitch and a few others of the same ilk addressed to a timid-looking lad, around whom they had rudely gathered. Just then Tom and Harry chanced to be passing by. "'What's the matter?' inquired Tom of the victim. "'He wants his ma, but you'll do, Playfair,' volunteered John Pitch. "'You're a mean set to be teasing a poor newcomer who hasn't got any friends,' exclaimed Tom, his eyes flashing. "'Mind your business, Playfair.' said pitch yes and you mind yours and let the poor new kid alone come on johnny what's your name and have a game of catch here take some candy tom's new friend james aldine said very little but his eyes spoke volumes of gratitude he was a quiet olive-complexioned boy his eyes dark and heavily shaded had a trick of passing from an expression of gentle timidity to one of marked fear tom who at once took a liking to the newcomer soon came to notice this change of countenance and as the days slipped by and their intimacy increased tom's wonder grew he was puzzled and being an outspoken boy was only waiting a favorable opportunity of satisfying his curiosity at last the occasion presented itself it was the second week of october when he and james found themselves alone on the prairie fully two miles from the college the average boy can make an intimate friend in someone under a week the intercourse of these two had already gone beyond that period and tom felt himself fully justified in remarking what makes you look so scared jimmy do i look scared just as if you had been training a large stock of ghosts and hadn't succeeded jimmy shivered and his face paled halloa now i say cried tom clapping him heartily on the back what is the matter anyhow oh tom and jimmy's long pent emotion escaped in a flood of tears i'm afraid of being murdered what gasped tom just listen you know where i live about sixty-five miles from this place on a large farm last year a newcomer moved near us named hartnett he was a short dark ugly-looking man with bristling black whiskers he lived all alone about a mile from our folks and seldom said a word to anybody one night about a month ago i happened to pass by his house when i heard a noise inside as if someone were trying to shout but couldn't 
then i heard a tremendous hubbub as if there was a scuffle then the crack of a pistol and then all was still again in spite of my fright i crept to the window and oh tom how i was frightened on the floor lay a man in a pool of blood and over him stood that dark man looking still darker i was so frightened that i couldn't stir and there i stood with my face against the window pane somehow i couldn't move then my heart gave a great jump when suddenly hartnett's eyes met mine at first he turned deadly pale then he swore a dreadful oath and made for the door as he moved my strength came back and i tell you i ran down the road at full speed yet not so fast but that i could hear his heavy breathing as he followed oh it was awful that run through the dark woods i don't think i'll ever be as frightened again not even when i come to die even as i ran i could tell that he was gaining on me and i called to god to help me and prayed as i had never prayed before at last his hand was on my collar and he had me tight he pressed me to the earth with one hand and with the other pulled a knife from his bosom i shut my eyes and said what i thought was to be my last prayer suddenly his grasp loosened i opened my eyes and saw he had changed his mind boy he said in a tone that froze my blood kneel down as i took the position he held me closely i know you he said and you needn't fear i'll ever forget your face now swear never to tell what you saw in my house then he put me through a dreadful oath and swore that if ever i opened my lips about what had happened that night he would kill me with the most awful tortures here james paused and trembled in every limb tom put his hands in his trousers pockets and stood with his legs wide apart it was his method of expressing astonishment gracious he said but he's a bad man you oughtn't to be afraid of him though but i am it is not so much fear of him as of my conduct that worries me sometimes i wonder whether i have to keep such an oath do you think i have i haven't got that far in my catechism yet said tom but i can ask my teacher why what's the matter as tom was speaking a look of horror had come upon jimmy's face oh tom i've broken my oath i've told you the secret without thinking of it tom was startled his hands went deeper into his pockets and his legs spread wider well he inquired after a few moments reflection you didn't mean to break your oath did you honor bright i didn't protested james well then it isn't any sin because you can't commit a sin unless you mean to that's what we are told in catechism but if i had been in your place i wouldn't have taken that oath i'd have died first well do you think i'm obliged to keep it i don't know about that i'll tell you what i'll ask the president about it so as he won't know that i mean any particular boy what do you say to that i think it's a good idea before night tom had inquired of the president and learned that an oath taken under compulsion was not binding but said james when this news was imparted to him what shall i do about it do you think it is my duty to tell on him i don't know jim you'd better think about it come on let's play catch and tom produced a spalding league from his pocket they were hard at it when harry came running up in great excitement i say he began have you heard what the red clippers have done no what inquired both in a breath they have put up as a prize a fancy baseball bat and a barrel of apples to any club in the yard that plays them a decent game inside a month the red clippers was the banner baseball club of the small yard and the players were the strongest hardiest most skillful and most active of the junior students 
they were the constant theme of admiration among all the little boys an admiration not unmerited inasmuch as the red clippers had over and over again defeated the best middle-sized nine of the large yard a challenge consequently from their nine was in the eyes of all an opportunity to win glory i'll tell you what said tom let's get up a club to beat em james aldine smiled and looked at tom as though he doubted the seriousness of his offer and looked at tom as though he doubted the seriousness of this offer get out said harry in disdain we'll have to grow several inches and swell out in every direction before we'll be able to beat them that's what you say retorted tom but we'll see about that now look here harry you can curve can't you a little was harry's modest reply very well you'll pitch and i'll catch we'll practice together and fix things so as to fool some of those fellows joe white may hold down first base he's a good jumper and isn't afraid of anything you can throw at him willie brothers can play second base and you jimmy can try shortstop harry conley seems to be a pretty good little chap and he can hold down third then we can put harry underwood and right he's a gorgeous thrower frank mcgroy in center he's got long legs and can cover a great deal of ground and lawrence leary in left he's a good fly swallower pshaw grumbled harry all those fellows you named are little tads do you expect to beat the red clippers with them that's about it beat the red clippers reiterated harry that's just what i said if we take a few weeks for practice hire a hall said harry just wait will you now you and jim go round quietly and get our fellows together without letting any of the other boys know what's going on with but little delay the boys in question were brought together whereupon tom in a low voice unfolded his plans at first his hearers received the idea of beating the red clippers as a bit of unintentional pleasantry but as tom went on they settled into earnestness in such wise that when he came to a pause all yielded the readiest assent to his wishes and despite tom's modest disclaimer elected him captain manager and trainer of the new club from that time on tom saw to it that his men were practicing constantly and yet their training was so unobtrusive so hidden under a bushel as to excite no comment among their playmates after breakfast and supper for instance mccroy underwood and conley would take extreme corners in the yard and give the whole recreation time to the catching of high flies the basemen would practice the stopping of grounders and the catching of line balls while tom and harry with the prefix permission would go behind the old church and employ their time at battery work tom was a plucky little catcher and even if he failed sometimes of holding a ball he was not afraid to stop it his main idea in regard to practicing with harry was to initiate that young pitcher into such tricks as tom's small experience could supply whenever half holiday came he and his men instead of going out for a walk remained in the yard then when the playground was fairly well cleared he would put his baseman on the bases his pitcher in the box and his three fielders in turn at the bat it was a pleasing sight to see how deftly these knickerbockered lads handled the ball see the pitcher bending his fingers into almost impossible positions round the ball he was preparing to deliver an in-curve whiz there it goes right over the plate whack into tom's hands and the boy with the bat wonders how he came to miss it from the way tom throws it at the second baseman you would think it was a matter of life and death but it is thrown too high however brothers seems to think the catching of it to be likewise a matter of life and death 
for he springs into the air brings it down with one hand and without stopping for applause passes it on a low line to the first baseman the first baseman is familiar with the short bound he makes a neat scoop and sends it daisy cutting across the diamond to the shortstop who secures it on a dead run jerking it into the hands of the third baseman how quick they are how eager the one week's practice has been magical in result good gracious exclaimed willie but we can play ball a little bit you're right said joe as he walked in say tom i think we can play him any time now right away not much said tom emphatically there's a big thing we've got to look out for yet if we fix that we'll be all right what's that was the general query we've got to get used to their pitcher's delivery says so to bat him easy if we can't do good batting they'll beat us badly now i'll tell you what i've got a scheme to bring the thing the way we want it it's this i'll bet any boy here the cake for the next two weeks and the apples too that i can hold his delivery for half an hour the cakes and apples also the pie were favorite steaks at st mars by these terms was understood the daily dessert i'll take you said harry whose twinkling eyes gave evidence that he understood tom's plan and i'll give keenan half the cakes if i win done said tom clasping harry's hand and holding it till joe kindly cut the bet and i'll go halves with george if i win and what do you say harry if these boys here who have heard us make the bet do the batting to see whether they can bluff me i agree to that too answered harry with a solemn wink all now perceived the ruse and were delighted with their parts no matter who should win the bet it would be a splendid opportunity for studying their pitcher and for getting some practice in batting after supper george keenan was somewhat astonished to find himself waited upon by a delegation of yard mates what are you fellows up to he exclaimed look here george tom began i want you to do me a favor you see i made a bet to-day while these fellows were standing around that i could hold your hottest balls for half an hour now if you pitch your best and i win you'll get my dessert for a week if i lose harry'll give you his for a week most model boys if we can believe the story-books are rather indifferent in regards to cakes and pies but george was a model boy on lines of his own he jumped at the offer why of course i'll pitch to you that's fun for me thank you said tom gratefully and i say george these boys will bat your pitching so as to make it more real oh that's all right answered george taking off his coat and stepping into the pitcher's box a referee was then appointed to time the carrying out of this novel bet and the proceedings began for some time tom contrived to hold george's hottest balls with apparent ease while the witnesses improved their batting abilities strange to say however tom at the end of twenty-five minutes began to show signs of weakening and presently called time harry had won the bet tom then protested that he was sure he could win the wager some other time and as before offered to bet on the results forthwith Will brothers took him up and it was agreed that on the following day the test should be repeated in a word tom by a variety of devices succeeded in getting his men an opportunity of studying and solving george's curves three or four times each week nor was he satisfied once they had caught the knack of hitting keenan he went further he insisted on their batting so as to send it toward third base he had a good reason for this as the issue will show thus giving himself to study and to play with equal zest and never losing sight of the sacred christmas that was approaching the month passed quickly and pleasantly for tom and almost before he could realize it 
the day for the great baseball match was at hand. End of chapter 22 Recording by Maria Therese